everything you can to keep me alive. I'm happy to be here today, but I've had some bad ideas, and um, Rob, actually, as you know, who's uh, one of our worship guys here, he's part of our Axis team, many of you know him, uh, he lived across the street from me, and he was, ab- was full of about as many bad ideas as I was, and so uh, together, that just culminated into a mess of things, and uh, I, I'm about to share this story, and the truth is, I don't even know if my mom knew about this, but uh, here we go, so we, uh, we had these radio flyer wagons. You guys know the ones, the wagons with like the little, you put the, the sides in and you get it all filled in. Um, well, we had the crazy idea, Rob and I both had one of these, uh, that if you got that wagon up to the top of a hill, um, it could also serve as a bobsled. I don't know if you knew this. Like, don't try this at home, kids. But one of our bad ideas, and so... We figured out that if you took the little front thing out and you got your legs in there just right and kind of sat down in it or on your knees, you could use that front little thing that you're supposed to pull people with and you could steer a little bit too. So you had some steering, not great steering, but you had some steering. And so we'd get to the top, he'd start on one side, I'd start on the other side. Now his side was a lot more, the sidewalk was a lot more bumpy, I never told him that, but like I had the advantage, like he was more likely to wreck and uh I'll just go ahead and say that happened many a times, and so this was one of the first lessons that I had at a young age in velocity, which is what we're talking about today. And now with velocity, what we found was it was, we could get that thing going. We could. If we were at the top of a hill, and you ran, and you jumped into this thing, you could get that thing going. We could generate a little bit of velocity. Uh, What we found to be more difficult was what we hadn't thought about, and there's no brakes on a radio flyer wagon. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but it's actually not meant to be a bobsled. So it would end in a couple different ways. Either somehow, miraculously, we would get all the way down to the bottom to where it started to level out, and more often than not, though, it involves somebody jumping out of the thing, steering too hard and falling out of the thing, um, or just some epic, like, crash at the end. So we had a lot of, and I don't know if there was any that were a direct result of this, but we had a lot of emergency room trips, right, and a lot of trips, uh, a lot of broken bones, um, just, it just happened, right? So velocity. Um, so what I learned was starting was one thing, stopping was entirely another thing, right? Like when something, when an object um, is in motion and it's gaining velocity, it's really tough to slow that object down, right? When it's gaining momentum, when it's gaining velocity. And when it comes to God and a God who is on the move, that's a really good thing. And the lesson really for today is this lesson on velocity. It is not just hard, but it is impossible to stop God when he's on the move. It's not just hard to stop God when he's on the move. It is impossible to stop God when he is on the move. When it's God who is carrying the velocity, there's no stopping it, right? There is no stopping those kinds of moves. And so when God gets a hold of a life and when God gets a hold of a group of people, there's no stopping him. And as I think about that, as we talk about that today, that's the kind of movement that we really want to be a part of, right? This movement uh, of velocity. You see, when God is on the move, it's better just to get on board, right? Like, God, what are you doing? We want to get in that wagon. We want to go where you're going. We want that kind of velocity behind us, a velocity that can't be measured, can't be slowed, can't be stopped. And in the early church, we see this kind of velocity. If you want a case study in velocity, just look at the rapid growth of the early church and the rapid spread of this early movement. 
This started with a ragtag group of disciples, right? They just couldn't get it figured out. Jesus dies, he dies, he raises from the grave, and all of a sudden there is this force that has been set in motion, this movement that is set in motion that cannot be contained. And over and over again, they're trying to contain it. They're trying to stop this move of God, this move of Jesus. And they're trying to snuff out the way of Jesus. And they continue to tell the disciples and the people that were witness to his resurrection, like, stop talking about Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the simple of it, right? Just stop talking about Jesus. Stop bringing up this name. Stop starting what they saw was a rebellion, right? Like, stop, stop doing this. Stop talking in the name of Jesus. And their response was, We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Do to us whatever you want to do to us, but we cannot stop talking about Jesus. You can't stop this. In one of the... Uh, one of their ranks, the religious establishment, the Sanhedrin was this body, this religious body made up of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, the Jewish ruling council, and they were just continued, they just, they saw this as a great threat, and so they were trying to stop it, and they continued to, to come together, and at one point, after the disciples were like, we can't stop talking in the name of Jesus, they're like, what do we do? And one of the guys, his name is Gamaliel, he stood up before them, you could tell he's one of these guys that when He stands up to speak. Everybody listens, right? And he stands up and he says this. He says, listen, he gives them a couple different um, former stories of rebellions that have kind of risen up and died out. And he's like, listen, there was this time and this time. And he says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. But. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Gamaliel knows something about velocity, and that's this. If God's in it, you're not stopping it. If God's in it, you're not stopping it. And Jesus reinforces this in his conversation with Peter. After Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, listen, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, on this proclamation, on this declaration, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. He's saying, listen, nothing's going to stop this. The very gates of hell, the very presence of evil, it doesn't matter. Evil, God, will not be stopped. And I think sometimes we shrink back in fear. We get afraid. We're like, just look at, you know, we say, look at the times. Look, look at how they are. But we forget who's behind us. We forget the velocity that we have behind us. And the reason we gather in this place, and really from the beginning of time, I just remember the beginning of, of this church being established, we had conversations, and they were like, we don't want to just play church. We don't want to just gather together and play church. We want to be part of the move of God. We want to follow him where he's going. We want to get on board with the things that he's doing. We want to be part of a move of God. And we want to see, we want to pray to God and say, do here, God, what we've seen you do in so many places and so many times. God, we just want you to move and take us along for the ride. And so today what I want to do is just want to spend a little bit of time talking about what it looks like to see that velocity. And really even beyond that, what is it that God has used 
over the years and in the scripture to generate velocity? What are some components of velocity? Because God could generate velocity in any way that he wants to, but scripturally we see some patterns take place where there's a great move of God. There's many of these things at work. And so if we want to see God move and we want to maybe get on board with God who is already in motion, God's already moving, right? So if we're not moving, it's not because God's not moving, right? If we're not moving, it's because we have not joined God and what he is already doing, right? So if we want to get on board, here's some of the things that we see God using to generate momentum in us and through us and, and to, to create great waves of God and great moves of God. Um, and so we can actively, right? The question is, how can we actively uh, be an active part in what he's doing in our generation? I just feel like I want to look back on my life and my time here on earth and I want to be like, if God was moving, I hope that I was a part of that. Whatever that looked like in my generation, in my place, in Warren County, Ohio. I just, whatever God was doing, I want to make sure that I was on that ride, right? And so here's some things that we see at work in places where, and in people where God is generating velocity. The first thing that I want to talk about is inciting events. Inciting, not exciting, but inciting events. Um, One of the things I learned on that wagon was uh, Newton's first law of motion and second law of motion. You guys know this? You're in science class. Hopefully you didn't sleep through this lesson, right? And I was always the guy that I liked science to be like tangible. Like I liked whatever I'm learning to be tangible. So I liked science because there was experiments. And there was, you remember this thing called the Newton's cradle where there's a little balls? And I could play with that thing for just hours, you know, like letting the balls hit back and forth and, and knock each other. And what that uh, demonstrated was Newton's law of motion, and, and that's this. An object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force or something of greater mass, right? And so God uses, and this is called, the, this referred to the law of inertia. And we see it with Newton's cradle, right? You pull them back, and if you grab more of them, they're going to knock the other ones in the other direction, right? And so we see, and if you see one's moving in one direction, it will continue to move in that pattern unless, again, acted upon uh, with, and I know that's, for those of you that engineers and science minded, you're like, that's that's not quite right, but you got it. So um, you get the idea. But God uses events in our lives to act as an unbalanced force, right? To either move us from a fixed position, right? Because some of us are an object at rest. If we were just going to evaluate like, where my life is right now, I'm an object at rest. Like I just say, I'm not moving. And so God often will use for an object at rest an inciting kind of event to propel us into motion, to join him in motion. We'll call that ignition, Right? When God takes an object at rest and sets it in motion, we'll call that ignition. And for some of you, you know I'm at rest right now. For some of us, we're going in that same pattern over and over again. We're doing that same thing. And what God is doing is not ignition. He's ready to to create an event or he wants to use an event in your life right now or something in your life right now for redirection. He wants to act upon your life in a way to say, no, we're not going that direction anymore. We're going a new direction. I'm going to generate greater velocity. Some examples of this in Scripture. This is Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, Paul is attacking the early church. He is murdering Christians. He even has a different name at that point. It's Saul, right? 
And he has this inciting event on the road to Damascus where he encounters Jesus. And Jesus is like, why are you persecuting my church? And then he gives him a new commission. He blinds him. I mean, it's a bright light out on the road. Talk about an inciting kind of an event where you just walk away and you're like, I'll never be the same. This was Paul on the road to Damascus who is now being redirected by God to be the greatest missionary of all time, right? This is Moses at the burning bush where God's like, hey, I've heard the cries of my people. Guess who's going? You're going, right? And he shows up to him at a burning bush, and he propels him forward. He ignites something in his life. This is Abraham on the mountain with Isaac where God shows his faithfulness to him in a way that, Mo- that Abraham will never be the same. It's an inciting kind of an event. This is Jonah in the belly of a whale. Jonah's like, I'm not going to that people. I'm not going to Nineveh. No way, I'm not going to Nineveh. And God says, okay, cool, I'll send a whale. Like, you get eaten up by a giant fish, it has a way of setting you in a new direction, right? And I hope to never find that out. But here the thing is, for some of us, it takes a lot bigger event for God to get our attention. For some of us, maybe it's just we, we just have a moment of clarity or we have a moment of reflection or a decision point. Some of us, God has to use these bigger things in our life to grab our attention, to redirect us. He needs to use a greater unbalanced force to move us. I think about Isaiah, and Isaiah, he recalls his inciting event, and he heard the voice of the Lord saying after encountering God, Whom shall I send and who will go? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. He's just inviting God to act upon his life. And there's no invitation like that when it comes to generating velocity in our lives and in our time. And, you know, I'm learning to evaluate the life, the events in my life, and even big and small things in my life differently now. I try to see them through the lens of, okay, is God trying to ignite something in me? Is God trying to redirect me in some way? And so I try to see things through this lens. This is a small example, but I'll, I'll go ahead and share it because I think we don't always pay attention to these. This morning, these guys are like, we're out of batteries. And I'm like, okay, I guess we can go get batteries. So I go out, I jump in the car to go get batteries this morning. And I just happened to be in the car to hear um, this message that I needed to hear. It was like a, a segment of, uh, of a message. It was just the right thing that for me at that moment. I'm like, well, clearly I was supposed to get batteries, right? And so God uses these things, big and small, to incite, to ignite, to redirect us. And the more we pay attention to them, the more these things can take hold of us and propel us forward. And so these could be any number of things, right? This could be a challenge or obstacle you're facing. It feels like a brick wall, and you're like, what is the point of this? This doesn't feel like it's setting me in motion, yet it's going to be the very thing. As you overcome that obstacle, that once you overcome that obstacle, you're going to have greater velocity beyond that obstacle. Maybe it's a loss or a rejection or a failure, and right now it just feels like, man, that's just holding me back. But what would it look like if you allowed God to take hold of that? Maybe it's something somebody said. Maybe somebody said to you, oh, that idea will never work, right? Anybody heard that before? That idea will never work, right? And it's maybe that's the moment you're like, no, it will work because you don't know my God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after that. It could be a moment of clarity that truth is spoken into your life. Maybe it's just a moment of realization where you've been in that same direction of life over and over again, and you're like, when is this ever going to change? Like, I just... I'm done living this way, right? I'm, I'm done living this way. And it's time for a new direction, and so maybe it's a moment like that. But God uses these 
events in our lives for ignition and redirection. And so as you evaluate your life today, what is it that God might be teaching you? In what ways might he be igniting you and redirecting you? Because all of these things hold the power to propel us in the hands of God. So God uses inciting events. The other thing uh, that God is well-versed on is aerodynamics. Aerodynamics. One of the things we do a lot of now at my house is ever since my kids learned that I can build airplanes, it's like all we're doing. Like it's like I'll, have, I'll do like I'll build like probably uh, sixteen airplanes a day. Like I'm just like okay, and then another airplane dad. And where's the, where's the last fifteen? Like I don't know, you know. And so even kids at church now have realized that I'm pretty good at building airplanes. And um, but one of the things with an airplane is. It has to be, and my kids will sometimes try to build them, and they'll be all, like, floppy and, like, have zero aerodynamics to them whatsoever, and they won't go very far, and they'll just be, like, sad. I'm like, Dad, you build it. You do it. And so an airplane has to have good aerodynamics, right, to work. And I'm going to demonstrate this hopefully here in just a second without killing anyone. Um, So we'll see. I tried to make it back to the sound booth earlier, but it didn't quite work, so I'm going to try to throw that. Everybody be on guard, though, because I'm not steering this thing. So aerodynamics, you ready? Oh, see, that was going to be pretty good. It just, it crashed. So I don't know if that was a good demonstration of what I was trying to, to prove or not. But one aspect of maintaining velocity, and some of you guys are engineers, and some of you guys work with GE, we, we care about aerodynamics, right? We care about the math that goes into making everything just the way that it's supposed to be. There, oh, good throw. So maybe it was the, maybe it was the person throwing it. Um, but there are things in our lives that are creating drag, right? If we really evaluate, there's things that are actually slowing you down. Maybe it's a flaw in our character, or maybe it's something that we haven't been refined on yet. And God's, God is folding us, molding us, making us. He's, he's taking out things that are creating drag in our life. Because what God wants to do is he wants to use the circumstances, the trials in our life, the things that we're facing to make us more streamlined for his service. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to make us more, our life more usable. And I just want to tell you today, and hopefully you hear this a lot from us, but I want you to hear it. God wastes nothing in your life. There's not one thing in your life where God's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. God can make something out of everything in our life if we will allow him to. God is wasting nothing in your life. He's using those things, those difficult things, those challenging things, those unexpected things. God uses these circumstances to shape us. James 1, 2 through 4, you've probably heard this scripture before, but listen to it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So some of what you're facing right now is God allowing you to carry greater velocity, to leave a greater impact. God shapes us so that we can reshape the world. Isaiah 64, 8. This is what Isaiah says, you, God, you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. And what would it look like if all of us just came before God with our lives, as messy as they get at times, and just say, God, listen, I'm just the clay. Mold me. Make me. Do whatever you want. 
had a conversation with a friend this week who was just sharing that they're like, I just feel like I'm broken right now. I'm not usable by God. And, and I just wanted to say, listen, you have no idea how God is using you right now. It's tough to sometimes to look at the person in the mirror and actually feel usable. We just look at ourselves and we're like, no, nah, not right now. God's not, there's no way God could use this, right? There's no way God could use me in this state that I'm in right now. Sometimes it's hard to see in ourselves. But God is doing an incredible work in your life. He's shaping you. He is molding you. He is making you. When we just come before God and say, I might not be able to make sense of all of this, but God, here I am once more. I am the clay. You are the potter. Take this mess of things. Mold me. Make me. May I be like clay in your hands. God is wasting nothing. He is shaping you for greater velocity. He is shaping you so that you can reshape the world. And who knows, I mean, we've seen this happen before, right? Where that very challenge that you had to walk through, somebody behind you is going to face that challenge, and you're going to get the opportunity to turn back and walk with them and say, hey, I've been here too. I've faced this too. I know what you're feeling right now. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. But here's some things I've learned. Here's some things God's taught me. So let's journey together. And In doing so, God uses the very things that are painful and challenging for us so that we can help shape the life of someone else who shapes the life of someone else and on and on. It's aerodynamics that God is making us more aerodynamic and usable for him. The other thing that God uses historically, we see it time and time again throughout the scripture, is revved up hearts. Hearts that are just on fire for God. God uses hearts that burn for him and his purpose. God uses those that are passionate for him. It's not really a magic formula. God just says, hey, who's out there? Here's the prerequisite. Here's the prerequisite. You just have to care. You just have to want it. You don't have to have all the skill sets figured out. You just got to be ready. You got to be ready to be revved up. You got to be passionate for me. You got to be willing to chase after me. Nehemiah. Uh, it was a great story of scripture, and uh, there's, there's a whole uh, book of the Bible committed to telling the story of Nehemiah, who felt like he must rebuild the walls around God's holy city that had been, con- uh, been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar uh, of the Babylonian Empire. And he believed that fulfilling God's purpose was to go and rebuild these walls. And he was just He was just bent on getting it done. Like, he was just going to get that done. It didn't matter because why. He felt like this is what God would have him do. And he says this. He says, at one point, people came to him. They were trying to, like, deter him. And some of you are like this. You're very laser-focused in what you're doing. And, And this is how he was. He was... He knew this was of God and what he was supposed to be doing. So it says that he sent messengers to him, and they said, I, he said to them, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Try using that one on your significant other. I get into modes, and I'm like, babe, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. You know, like, really, really? Yeah, no, this is not a great one to use. And this one's definitely not a great one to use. As he follows up, he says this, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Definitely don't use that one with your significant other, you know. Come take out the trap. Why should the, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should I stop and leave and come down to you? But this is what he says, right? Listen, I can't be distracted. I can't be deterred. This is something that I need to do. I have to do. I'm compelled to do. 
I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And then listen, they, he sent, they sent to me four more times in the same way. Just come down. Just come down. I cannot come down. I cannot come down. I cannot come down. And God has planted something within you, and you know it because it, it just burns red hot inside of you. And you know, like, I just, I can't come down from this. God plants these passions that propel us. The difference, the thing that we have to figure out is we have to decipher between the passions that are our own making and the passions that are actually from God. And some of you are like, how do I decipher between that? Well, let me just give you a simple tip, not to oversimplify it, but those that first long for God, if God's your greatest desire, if God's the one that you're chasing after first and foremost, the more we long for God, the more his longings become our own. The more that God becomes our ultimate desire, the more he plants these passions inside of us. The more like Nehemiah, we catch fire and we're like, I'm carrying on a great work, I cannot come down. And so let me ask you a question because maybe you have a God-planted passion in you right now. What's that thing that if we got you started talking about right now, we couldn't stop you? What's that thing that's got you up at night and you're like, well, somebody should do this, that, or the other? Now, how can that thing be leveraged for God's glory? How can you use that thing and leverage it for God's good and for the good of others and God's glory? There's a problem out there that needs solved. There's an idea that needs developed. There's a, an injustice, a, a wrong that needs righted. There's somebody out there that's voiceless that needs a voice, right? There's somebody out there that's desperate, that's in need of hope. And God's planted that passion in you. He's given that passion to you. It's, that passion is for you. It's not for you to say, hey, God gave me this idea. What do you think about it? You should do this. No, that idea is for you. Right? Sometimes we like to hand it off and say, you know, and we do this sometimes in the church where we're like, hey, the church should really do something for this, that, or the other. Well, did God give that to the church or did God give that to you? We shouldn't be willing to just all the time hand these things off because God is planting these passions inside of us. I love what Augustine said. He said, love God and do whatever you want. What he meant by that was, if you're burning red hot for God, if you're longing first and foremost for him, his longings are going to become our own. So go ahead and do what you want. A lot of times we'll say something like this, follow your heart. That's really bad advice. Unless your heart is revolved around Christ, unless your, your, your heart is filled with Jesus, and then go ahead and do what you want. Because if God has invaded your heart, I trust your feelings and your direction, right? We still have to decipher that. We have to, to use wisdom in that. But love God first and foremost, long first and foremost for him, and then follow the passions as he lays them on your heart. When we chase God, his passions chase us. Anybody been there? You're like, you're just chasing after God, and all of a sudden there's just this, th you can't shake it. It's like this passion that you just, I can't quite shake that thing, right? I've got to continue to do this thing. I've got to continue to see this through. When we chase God, often his passions chase us, and we can't shake him. It's like Jeremiah, and he actually was lamenting when he wrote this in Jeremiah 29. He's like, I'm trying to shake God loose, but I can't shake him loose, is what he says. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. It's a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I can't. You see, I can't put this fire out. I'm trying as hard as I can, but I can't put this fire out. It's shut up in my bones. I cannot contain it. I cannot hold it in. 
So you're looking for purpose? Chase God. He will show you the desires of your heart. I've been studying, uh, just uh, listening to some podcasts and studying about some great movement makers of their time. And one of them was John Wesley. And uh, just tons of people um, in kind of a dark time were flooding to hear this guy speak and responding to his messages. And there was nothing, if you just kind of ask people, there's nothing like um, just unprecedented about this guy. He's just an ordinary guy. So people asked him one time, like, what is it? Like, how is it that, like, when you speak, all of a sudden, like, floods of people are, like, coming to know Jesus? And we, you know, it's not happening everywhere. Like how, how, how are you able to do that? And I love how he responds. He says this, I catch fire and the people come to watch me burn. I just catch fire. I, I set my heart on God and allow him to set my heart on fire. And people come to watch me burn. It's passion that only can come from God. And the last thing I'll say is that God uses his unrestrained presence to generate velocity, to generate movement. He used his unrestrained presence. Took the boys a couple weeks ago to, to Kings Island, and uh, we love going to Kings Island over the summer. And one of the things I was most excited about this year was, and some of you would be like, this is lame, but I don't think so. The old-fashioned cars are back. And I was like, so excited about this, because I used to ride this as a kid. I think it was my first driving experience because my dad knew that I wouldn't, um, you know, derail it. Uh, but, you, yeah, I get to drive the old fashioned. So I was excited to get to take my kids on. So we waited in a really long line, which is tough with my children. This is tough. They're like, Dad, are we there? Can we go? And Eli kept saying, oh, he didn't get it. He's like, he didn't get the line thing, you know. Like, why do we have to wait here? So I'm like, don't worry, guys. It's going to be worth it, you know. So we get up. We get in the car. You can see we're all jammed in the front seat together. And I get, I'm so excited. I've been anticipating this moment. And all of a sudden, I just press down the gas. It's like two miles an hour. I'm like, what's happening? Like, mine's broken. You know, I'm thinking, like, what's going on? I'm pressing it all the way to the ground. And, of course, what do they tell me literally the entire way around the track? Go faster, Daddy. Go faster. Why are we not going faster? And I'm like, gentlemen, this is max speed. Like, we're going, this is as fast as it will go, you know? They don't make them like they, whatever, you know, they, it's backwards, right? They don't make them. I'm sure cars went faster back then. I was like, what's going on? And so what I was trying to explain to them, they, Dad, go fast, go fast. I was like, listen, boys, there's a governor on it. I'm like, what's a governor? Like, what's a governor? What's a governor? I'm like, it means there's like a speed restrictor on it. Like, they, this is as fast as it will go. It just gets, it sounds like it's going to go faster. And it's like, goo, 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 goo. And we just like, we, we top out, you know? And so they didn't understand that. Uh, but I was trying to explain to them, there's a max speed that this thing can go because there's this restrictor that has been placed. And I'm, just forget it, guys. This is max. This is all faster we're going, you know. We're not going any faster. So we haven't ridden that one again. Uh, but, oh, well. They have a need for speed. We got to go faster than this. We need velocity, Dad. So we, we stick to the log flume and things like that for now. But I think this is what happens to so many of us. We place this governor on our own lives, right? Without inadvertently, we're not trying to do it, but we limit what God might do. We limit the velocity that God might be generated. We put a governor on our life. We put a speed restrictor on our life. Fear can operate this way. Doubt can operate this way. You know what else can operate this way? Self-reliance. Like, I just feel the need to do everything myself. All of these are speed restrictors that we place on our own life. When we attempt to operate on our own power, but God has no governor. 
God has no speed restrictor. God has no cap to his velocity. And if we want to initiate God's power in our lives, it begins with inviting his presence into our lives. In the Bible, he tells us how do we do that? How do we invite God's presence? Because if we want true velocity, if we want to be part of what God is doing, if we want to be part of a move of God, it's going to take us inviting his presence and seeing his power play out. It's going to take us getting rid of the governors in our life and the speed restrictors in our life and our doubts and our fears and hand that over to him and say, God, just give me more of you. I want more of your presence. The Bible tells us how to invite God's presence. It says this in 1 Thessalonians. This is Paul to the Thessalonians. He says, do these things. You'll invite God's presence. Here. Rejoice always. Pray continually. These are important. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then it says, don't do this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not stifle the spirit in the way that it wants to work in your life. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. In other words, receive wisdom, right? Test wisdom, ask questions, make sure it's true wisdom, but do not snuff out the wisdom, the truth that people are speaking into your life. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then may God himself, right, not you, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Don't quench the spirit. Do not try to restrain and rein in what God is doing in your life. Instead, we do the opposite. We invite God's presence. We take the governor off. We release the reins on his spirit. We stop trying to control and contain when or how God might move. But like the song that we, we sing sometimes around here, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Every great move of God began with an invitation like that where God's people invited God's presence. I think about Charles Spurgeon, who was another great um, movement Another great guy that God had used in generating a movement. And um, we, we see in England in a time when a lot of people believed that religion would simply die out. God did this incredible thing through this just on the outside ordinary man. Um, God did something incredible at a time when the telegraph had made it possible to distribute written uh, material. His messages were being transmitted all over the world. And there were stories told of like a shepherd, for example, in a far off desert, finding a small scrap of Spurgeon's sermon, responding to the gospel based on this scrap that he just found in the middle of nowhere. There's another story told of someone getting a gift that was wrapped in paper that had a sermon on it and accepting Christ. I mean, this is sort of the far-reaching velocity that, that this guy's life created because he was surrendered to what God was doing. He allowed God to take hold of him. And somebody one time asked him, what's, again, what's the secret? What's the secret to the movement? I love how he responded. He said, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. Let me just ask, would you do that for us? Would you do that for this church? Would you do that for what God is doing here in Mason and up in Middletown and Project 215? With the, would, would you hit your knees too and say, God, do it again. Just like you've moved before, God, we ask, would you move again? 
It takes all of us inviting God's presence to say, more, we want more of you, God, whatever that looks like. We want more of you, God. There's no magic formula to generating velocity. There is simply prayer. There is simply this invitation, God, do it again. We want to see another great move here in this place. Let's invite God's presence, ignite his power in our life. And I love this idea I heard uh, from a church in, in, in another place in England called King's Cross that it was in a very, uh, very secularized um, part of the city and this church um, was called to this place. And the pastor there, Pete Hughes, he often says this line that I really like and it's that prayer is where the battle is won. Prayers where the battle is won. He believes that, and that church has a culture of that. And one of the things that he challenges people to was he said, hey, let's walk the land. Let's walk the land, and let's pray over the land. And so they would walk this community of King's Cross over and over again, and they would see these things happen that were just sort of only could be described as these things God was doing. So let me just ask you, what would it look like if we as a people all committed to walking the land? Uh, whatever that land might look like, whether that be Lebanon, whether that be Middletown, whether that be Mason, whether that be Warren County, whether you live over in Liberty Township, or what if we walked our workplaces, right? We invited God's presence. God, we want you to do it here, God. We want you to do it here. And we invited God's presence into these places. Not that God needs our invitation, but it's how he's worked over and over again to generate velocity. And so may we invite him. And say the very thing that he tells us to pray. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let's specify that to say here. Right here. Here as it is in heaven. God, we want you to do it again. We want to be part of a great move in our generation. We want to see a renewed velocity. You're already in motion, God. We just want to join you as you move. There's a lot at stake. We want to see more lives change. Like this week. Stephen preached this past week on uh, procrastination, and he has asked the question back in our Project 215 gathering, and Daniel just answered. He said, Stephen asked the question, what are you putting off? And Daniel just raised his hand right there and said, I'm putting off baptism. I need to be baptized. So we're awesome. So that night, we're like, this is time to see a new trajectory for this young man. And so we got the opportunity. Yeah, let's celebrate that. And I told him, I said, there's a lot of new things going on in here. This is the biggest one, right? The old behind, the new, the new life before you, right? Velocity. And then after that night, I had a, a, another friend of ours, uh, Derek, um, who's been really thinking about this for a while. And he, he got with me the very next day. He started texting me, and he's like, hey, I'd, can we get together? He's like, no rush, but can we talk about baptism? Because I want to know what, it, what about following Jesus, what it looks like. I'm like, no rush. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to hang out and spend some time together. And so the very next day then, on Tuesday night, we got the opportunity to see his life transformed in the old behind and the new uh, before him. And so um, I, I just show you those because that's velocity, and we want to see more and more of that. We want to see more and more of that here as it is in heaven. That's the invitation. I'm going to pray that and ask God to continue to do that. I ask that you would walk the land with me, that you guys would join. Uh, I mean, what would it look like if a small army of us just said, we're going to walk the land, we're going to pray and see what God does with that. So uh, let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to close out with a little worship and, and an announcement. Uh, Father God, we